Welcome investors to the Absolute Return Podcast, your source for stock market analysis, global macro musings, and hedge fund investment strategies. Your hosts, Julian Klamotko and Michael Kesslering, aim to bring you the knowledge and analysis you need to become a more intelligent and wealthier investor. This episode is brought to you by Accelerate Financial Technologies. Accelerate, because performance matters. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. Welcome, ladies and gents, to the Absolute Return Podcast. I'm your host, Julian Klamachko, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mike Kesslering. On today's podcast, we welcome special guests, Scott McNeil and Jim Murtry, co-CEOs of Switchback2. The company recently announced a $2.3 billion business combination with Bird, a leader in shared, short-range, environmentally friendly electric transportation. On the show... Scott and Jim discuss their background in oil and gas and subsequent pivot to an energy transition focus, the thesis behind Switchback series of SPACs and lessons learned from the ChargePoint deal, why Bird was an ideal merger candidate for Switchback 2, what differentiates Bird in the highly competitive micromobility sector, and more. So with no further ado, here's our discussion with Scott and Jim of Switchback 2. All right, excited to have Scott and Jim from Switchback 2 and the other Switchback series of SPACs. As many listeners may know, they're the team behind the highly successful ChargePoint deal of last week, one of the big winners in the SPAC space. And they're out with a second one merging with Bird, the micromobility scooter company that I'm sure most of us know. I tend to see a number of the Bird scooters on my daily walk into the office, and they do have a third SPAC filed but not launched yet so we won't touch on that one but prior to getting into the deals that you guys have done and what you're working on Jim and Scott if you don't mind uh, telling our listeners a bit about your backgrounds I noticed going through your biographies spent a lot of time in the traditional conventional energy industry specifically oil and gas now you've made a bit of a pivot to energy transition, which we're seeing a lot on the private equity side, investing side, as you see this big macro shift into ESG, sustainability, more um, environmentally friendly modes of energy production and mobility. So would you mind walking our listeners through your career history and your background, expertise, et cetera? Yeah, uh, sure. Why don't I jump in first and then, Scott, if it's all right, um... You can you can jump on or correct me on anything I misstate about our kind of collective background as well. But uh, the, this is Jim and Julian. Mike, thanks very much for having us. We're excited to be with you guys today. Uh, so just quickly on my background, how I how I got into the energy transition business, just by way of stepping back all the way to the beginning. I'm actually from the Northeast originally. Uh, went to school in upstate New York at Cornell. Met a girl from Texas and followed her down to uh, down to Dallas in 1997. Uh, wanted to get into the business world, uh, but I took a somewhat unconventional route. Went to law school, uh, worked in public company mergers and acquisitions and securities for a few years, and then went to become the uh, general counsel in, in business development uh, lead at a, at a public company. 2014, I had the opportunity to partner with Scott, who I had known since, I think, back to 2000 or 2001, um, and we partnered together at RSP Permian, which was a company uh, that we were in the process of taking public and growing it from approximately a, a billion two market cap to about $10 billion in 2018 when we sold that public company to another uh, another existing public company. 
Uh, after that, we wanted to partner together again. We took a little bit of time off, and then we partnered in the first switchback um, iteration, which uh, we took public, I believe, in the summer of 2019 and July of, of 2019. And then, as you mentioned, we've done a, a second and have filed a third switchback after that. Um, I can tell you a, a little bit about how we made the pivot that you mentioned from uh, kind of traditional oil and gas, which was the focus of RSP Permian, into energy transition. Um, and then I'll let Scott chime in and, and obviously uh, let him give you his, his background uh, his background as well. But RST began with a, a thesis about disruptive technology. And I think that tenant, that core, has kind of flowed through all of the switchbacks and the energy transition space that we're in now. Now, back at the time of RST, that disruptive technology was, was horizontal drilling. And you could apply that technology to allow us to decrease our reliance on foreign energy, kind of traditional energy providers. Um, but by the time Scott and I were in, in the process of selling RSP in 2018, and, and frankly, probably even before that, 16, 17, as we met with investors and, and started to see the ground shift in that popular sentiment change, as we talked about that macro shift in the ESG sustainability, certainly by 2018, I think we had recognized that energy consumption had really reached a tipping point. And I think what drove that more than anything are some technological advances in wind, solar, battery storage, things like that, that made alternative energy more economic uh, than it had been previously. You know, previously back 2014, when we founded RSP, the economics were far more favorable for traditionally traditional energy consumption than they are for alternative energy. I think that playing field is much more even these days. Uh, and then the second big point was, as you said, that popular sentiment shift by 2018, 2019, when we raised our first spec, that shift toward uh, ESG and sustainability, environmentally friendly energy, um, we had we had recognized that shift was well underway. So our decision with Switchback to partner with a private equity firm, NGP, who had been investing in this alternative energy space for 15 years um, was, was pretty purposeful. So I covered a lot of ground there. I want to give Scott, obviously, the opportunity to give you his background and, and chime in. But that was kind of, a, I think, the, the logic for us on the shift is, as well as our, our involvement in, in energy consumption uh, back to the earlier days of our careers. Uh, thanks, Jim. That was a great intro. And as Jim said, we've known each other for a while. In fact, I think the very first IPO Jim worked on as, as a baby lawyer, uh, I was, the, I guess, the equivalent uh, on the banking side. And I spent 15 years as an investment banker in the energy sector, really covering a wide spectrum of companies uh, in the energy value chain and transactions, but always primarily working with high-growth companies on IPOs, uh, attracting growth capital, working and advising on M&A engagements, and, and really identifying and, and helping companies that were ready for the public markets. And along the way, I had the opportunity to work alongside NGP, who is our current private equity sponsor, as Jim said. I got a call from the managing partner there, who I'd known for some time, actually had been on a road show with a managing partner, helping them raise some capital. And he said he had a startup company that they had backed and that they wanted to put me on the board of the company and on the management team to help grow that company and really position it for an attractive exit. Not really knowing it would be an IPO, but 
we grew that company from a, a private startup as actually the 20th employee. As Jim said, uh, we built that company up to a billion two, I think it's about a billion five enterprise value at the time of the IPO. And we were the management team that ran that public company. And then we ended up selling it for nine and a half billion dollars. So Jim and myself, we felt like we had the perfect skill set uh, for running a SPAC because not only did we have the deal experience, uh, both from an investment banking and from a, a legal background perspective, but we also had experience of taking a private company and getting all the systems in place, getting all the right people in place, and being able to take it public and have the relationships uh, existing with uh, public uh, company investors and um, being able to raise another public vehicle in a SPAC and having all that expertise and that experience and really having that reputation. Because what Jim did share with you is that, you know, in our industry space, we had uh, not only a great track record, but one of the best track records of, of ever, any public company in the sector from really start to finish. So that helped us. And then I think one thing I just add on to that, you know, Jim talked about in terms of the underlying band dynamics and the shift going on inside energy is that, you know, we realized that traditional energy is really more in a harvest mode and kind of a return of capital phase. And energy transition is still in this huge growth phase. So we felt like that with a SPAC, what you're really doing is providing uh, growth capital and the best sort of long-term uh, growth potential we felt like was in these uh, energy transition names. And then the other thing is that NGP uh, our, our sponsor here and what was our sponsor of private companies, they're one of the, not only have they been investing in the traditional energy space, but for the, for the last uh, decade and a half, they've also been investing in this uh, energy transition phase. So I think together we just felt like we had a real powerful network and, and a real powerful uh, set of skills to, to be able to find the right companies in this energy transition space. Now, I wanted to get into the overarching thesis behind the switchback series of SPACs. The first one, of course, did the charge point merger. The second one announced a deal with Bird, not closed yet. We have a third one on file. Is there a playbook you guys follow? You mentioned a number of key themes, which is uh, you know, energy transition, sustainability, and growth. Um, you know, what's the same between these and, and what's the overarching thesis behind the SPACs? What, what are you guys trying to accomplish? Yeah, you, um, yeah, you know, you set me up, you set me up very well with, with that question to how we thought about approaching ChargePoint and then taking that similar playbook and applying it to the bird transaction. We, we really refined our investment criteria when we went into the switchback one transaction because we knew that there was going to be you know multiple multiple opportunities out there multiple targets the problem isn't finding a deal it's finding a good deal finding the right deal a deal our investors are going to benefit from in the, in the near term as well as the long term and for us we we, we laid out and very purposefully addressed kind of an, an investment criteria of six key points that applied both to charge point and then the same thing to bird and, and we think they checked the boxes for both of those transitions. that The first point was a disruptive technology with a, with a large addressable market. And for ChargePoint, being in electric vehicles, that disruptive technology in the large TAM, obviously Bird Micromobility, which has 800 billion of opportunity in electrified micromobility and something we didn't realize or I didn't realize until we got smart on the space of how many trips are 
or less than five miles, 60% of all trips. Uh, the second point was the management team had to be a public company ready experience ma uh, management team. We saw that with Pat Romano um, at ChargePoint and certainly see that with Travis in Yibo um, at Bird. Travis created the micro mobility space, uh, the originator of it, and he focused in on the unit economics um, that I'll talk about in a minute before really anybody else in the space did. Everybody else in the micro mobility space have been focused on growth, growth, growth. And Travis honed in on growth, but also with compelling unit economics. So that management team and a public company ready management team was a was a key second point. Third point, market leadership. ChargePoint was the largest EV charging company in the world. Uh, when we partnered with them, uh, similarly, Bird is a market leader. They had raised a billion one to date, you know, prior to our our deal uh, being announced. And and as you said, we haven't closed the deal yet, but it just puts a lot of space between you know our partner and the rest of the market the fourth point was a, was a business model a compelling business model charge point had an asset like business model or has an asset like business model that differentiates them and bird uh, has this uh, fleet manager model which we can tell you more about but it partners with individual entrepreneurs and really reduces uh, birds capital the cost of capital that that would sit on their on their books it's a compelling a novel business model that Bird has introduced. The last two points, and these are two of the most critical, um, is a returns-oriented company. There's a lot of companies out there, in, especially in the energy transition space, um, that we would that their revenue is is years in the future. You know, if if everything happens a certain way, they have a, a compelling growth profile. While that may work out for some companies, as Scott and I like to say, we don't like to fund science projects. We want to partner with somebody who's actually already proven that they can do this. So so Bird, for example, had $150 million of revenue in their second year of existence. They're gonna have over $400 million of revenue next year. So it's a you know it's it's not just an idea, it's an it's an actual company. And I think that's incredibly important, particularly these days in the SPAC market, to partner with a company with a strong cash flow position. Um, and an actual business, not just a not just a good idea. And then the, the last point for both both transactions was um, you know was ChargePoint or is Bird at an inflection point? Are they ready to be a public company? We thought the way the electric vehicle space was happening was was I guess was shifting and moving in adoption rates that a public charging company was just you know there was the perfect time when we took out ChargePoint. Similarly for Bird, we think the micro mobility space is at an inflection point as well. There's some tailwinds coming out of COVID, regulatory, favorable regulatory changes and industry consolidation. Uh, and, and as I also mentioned earlier, and a management team that's ready now to take the next step uh, with Bird to, to be a public company. So that kind of that investment criteria that we laid out in advance of the ChargePoint deal, that it checked all the boxes for ChargePoint, we feel just as strongly about the bird transaction that it checks all the boxes as well. So there are these constant investment criteria that you guys are sticking with throughout your various uh, spec transactions, and obviously with the ChargePoint deal, uh, starting things off on the right foot. I was wondering, did you glean any key insights from your ChargePoint deal when approaching your second spec? Yeah, hey, this is Scott. I, I think Jim covered a lot of that in those key criteria points. I, I think the, the insights all hold into the second deal. I, I think what 
we take away from the the charge point you know transaction other ones that have uh, traded well is that you know the market is going to reward you if you back the right company and the right management team uh, we feel like there's too many companies that are really just too early and as jim was saying you know don't have a proven business model yet and or they've they've got products that have, have yet to to be developed and and so there's a you know kind of a theoretical sort of revenue model out in the future or or service that's yet to be built and so you know I, I think going back to this comment that we don't fund science projects I think finding the right company that's truly ready to be in the public market and and there's one more round of capital where they're in the inflection point I, I think that's really the key ingredient and then I think another thing that is that we that he didn't touch on is that just I think in this environment that you want to partner with an experienced fact team, uh, somebody that you know has already been through a successful transaction, like what we did in, in ChargePoint, because we just have the expertise and, and the experience, and we've been through it from the very start to the finish. Know the public markets, and, and having a reputation is important, but really understanding the SPAC process and the structure, and all those things combined will ensure that a deal that can get done the right way. And uh, there's a lot of, I think, spot, uh, spot sponsor teams that are out there for the first time. And, and, you know, we've gotten into a market that's been very choppy. And uh, I, I think it's, uh, it's, it's very difficult if you haven't been through it already. So I, I would add those two things and hand it back over to Jim. He may have a couple other uh, key insights. Yeah, got answered it yeah, very well. I wouldn't add anything else to substance on top of that. And now a word from our sponsor, Accelerate, one of Canada's most innovative and fastest growing alternative investment solution providers. With a suite of institutional caliber alternative ETFs for investors seeking diversification and long-term performance, the Accelerate One Choice Alternative Portfolio ETF, symbol 1C, ONEC on the TSX is Canada's first alternatives portfolio solution, providing exposure to six alternative asset classes, 10 alternative strategies in one easy to use, one choice ETF that charges a management fee of just 0.2%. The Accelerate One Choice Alternative Portfolio ETF trades under the symbol 1C ONEC on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. Something that you mentioned earlier was that what you're looking for is returns oriented companies. And and I find that interesting in the in the context of ESG, I think a lot of the perspective uh of an outsider's perspective of the ESG is that it's mission oriented companies as opposed to returns oriented companies. Do you think that those different ways of viewing companies are kind of in conflict or do you think there is truly a, a lot of niche for returns oriented companies within within the ESG space? Yeah, I don't and let's let's gotta add on to this. I don't think they're in conflict at all. I, I think one of the things I had mentioned earlier on and one of the thoughts that Scott and had as as we transition from traditional energy con- consumption to alternative energy is I think that the technological advances in the last five or six years have made those those two ideas you know, a compelling investment as well as you know, ESG friendly goals much more compatible compatible excuse me than they've ever been before. The economics may not have made sense if you look back historically or ten years ago, but you see this just rapid change in in technology and as I mentioned, solar, wind, uh, batteries batteries in general or energy storage, uh, 
that that enable these, this energy transition to be both economic as well as to continue to maintain its ESG friendly goals. So, no, I, I, at this day and age, I don't see them as incompatible at all. Now, again, it's not as Scott highlighted. Not every company is at in the ESG space is at that point. You know, our our key point is figuring out which ones check both of those boxes, ESG-friendly uh, company with that, that mission and, and, and rooted in those values, but also offers compelling inter- returns to investors. And we think we did it at ChargePoint, uh, and we feel confident we're doing it again in Bird. So you can have the best of both worlds uh, these days, uh, which may be a little bit different than what would have been 10 years ago or even five years ago. Now, I did want to get into the Bird transaction, $2.3 billion enterprise value, $160 million pipe being led by Fidelity. I was wondering, with respect to the investment criteria that you mentioned, disruptive technology, large TAM, unit economics, market leader, returns-oriented management, what specifically made Bird the ideal merger partner for Switchback 2? Why, why Bird was the, the ideal partner, uh, as you mentioned, on those in the, our investment criteria that, that we checked, you know, we found, again, I think foremost is, can you find partners um, who, who are compatible, have share the same vision, of both for the company, um, as well as a relationship with investors going forward? We found that with Travis and Evo um, in, the Bird, in the Bird team, that results-oriented uh, company with, with you know, massive revenue, um, after just a, a relatively short uh, history, um, they're again with after five years they're going to have over 400 million of revenue. When you stack that up against other public companies that are been extremely successful, Google, DoorDash, Uber, Tesla, um, it's it's tracking well above those areas. You know those those things really jumped out to us that you know this may not be fully appreciated um, by the market. Of you know what a what a growth opportunity it is, but also what a track record uh, for a relatively young company uh, that it had it had established itself. And I think also in addition to that, you know, Bird continues to innovate going forward, and whether it was um, their technology, their hardware with the Bird Three, and we can talk about that if you'd like in a little bit. They're constantly innovating, and every innovation, like as I was kind of mentioning earlier, in energy transition in general, with each of these iterations in technological advances, the unit economics get more compelling, and we see them driving, you know, better and better unit economics in the in the immediate future, and you know, the growth in that kind of unit economic um, uh, growth is is has just been has been. Uh, Quite large over the last several years, and we see it uh, happening in the in the in the near future as well. And I guess the last thing I'd say, we did also like, or I also like, the timing of the transaction. I think Bird, with the capital um, it had raised to date, the position it had taken in the market, had established itself as a market leader, and I saw it as somewhat of a of a reopening play as well. Um, that there had been some favorable regulatory changes to allow this kind of socially distance mode of transportation as you as you move into a reopening phase uh, in the U.S. and the world, people wanting to get out, uh, wanting to see their city commute to work again, uh, that Bird was really positioned to kind of ride that, that upside from a, a reopening play as well. So we thought the timing uh, was right, both from, from taking the company public, but also, uh, you know, other factors playing into to how the, the macro economy and, and coming out of COVID uh, set the company up. 
Yeah, that makes sense from a recovery play standpoint. Now, this transaction also comes with a concurrent $160 million pipe, plus you're bringing some cash from the SPAC as well. What are the use of proceeds, and are you funding growth? What are, what are some of the major initiatives? Yeah, this is this is Scott. I'll I'll jump in on 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 that question. Is that uh, the the company? You know, they already had a couple hundred million on the balance sheet. Uh, they're going to bring in um, 160 million dollars in the pipe, and then uh, the trust as well. So they're going to be you know very well capitalized as a company uh, coming into the public market. And the use of proceeds, uh, you know, first and foremost, is just to uh, further penetrate. Some of the existing regions that they're in, so they're going to be expanding in existing cities, uh, plus you know adding some some new cities as well. They're they're going to be expanding to some new regions, so we'll see the the bird uh, brand uh, going into areas that that they're not currently located in, in some some different uh, regional uh, coverage, and then and then finally uh, continued innovation. And you know we're already saw the launch of the of the bird bike, which is a new form factor. And so there'll, there'll be some uh, additional uh, innovations that, that happen along the way. So they're just going to be uh, continuing on this this growth phase and, and using this capital to to really uh, expand their, their growth and, and their, their profitability. So there's there's a few other big names in the micromobility space. Do you see this as a winner take all market? that bird is going to be able to be the most successful player in or or how is it going to be successful and now a word from our sponsor accelerate one of canada's most innovative and fastest growing alternative investment solution providers with a suite of institutional caliber alternative etfs for investors seeking diversification and long-term performance the accelerate arbitrage fund symbol arb on the tsx is the world's first SPAC-focused ETF with a diversified portfolio of SPAC and merger arbitrage opportunities in an easy-to-use, low-cost ETF. The Accelerate Arbitrage Fund ETF trades under the symbol ARB on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. Yeah, so um, it's a great question, and, and I think we we heard, obviously, a lot of people talk about you know the, the competitive framework that you know Bird. Uh, is in, and uh, I think there's definitely room for you know more than than one player. And, and actually, what you're seeing happen is that there is uh, not only a competitive advantage uh, just from the standpoint that that Bird was out there, you know, first in this micro mobility space, but there's there's several barriers of entry that is in this sort of micro mobility ecosystem um, that we're seeing and. And, you know, I think getting out to a first mover advantage and, and, and being the creator is, uh, you know, creates the ability for them to have a, a tremendous learning curve of, of knowing, you know, how to run the business, but, but also just the, the experience and the institutional knowledge uh, that they're bringing in. And, and also just the, the scale, I think being a leading player in, in their main markets, um, you know, creates this, this economy of scale, both, you know, on a on a global basis as, as well as down on, on a local basis. But I think what's really interesting when you're talking about winner take all is from just a regulatory framework perspective and that, you know, Bird not only has significant experience, you know, collaborating with these uh, municipalities and regulators, 
uh, they've got the highest uh, permit win rate in the industry. And what you're seeing is that within these different cities, they're not just opening it up to anybody to come in and, and have uh, e-scooters or e-bikes. They're really limiting it to two, you know, maybe three. And so you have to proactively develop the, the partnership with the with the cities. And, you know, there there is this um, opening sort of regulatory environment for micromobility and for e-bikes and, and e-scooters that, that's going on right now. And, and I think being a, a major player has a significant advantage. And then I think one of the uh, interesting aspects is just the fleet manager model and the business model that uh, Bird has adopted. They've really lowered their fixed cost base, and by um, relying on these uh, fleet managers to provide the infrastructure, uh, the garages, and then taking care of the vehicles, uh, vehicles that really enables you know Bird to move into these smaller markets and these long tail cities. And uh, they've they've built this strong base of, of fleet managers, and of course they're providing you know all the support and the tools along that line to make that fleet mon manager model uh, really profitable and allow expands the opportunity set for them. And then, and I think also on the technology side, uh, when you take a look at a, a bird scooter or now the e-bike, you can see they're just well ahead of the peers. Uh, you can, you can just take a look at the, the half-life uh, of these vehicles and you can see that not only have they advanced the technology, but, but the safety is better. Uh, they've got a better battery life. Uh, it's just a mo more robust product offering than what the competitors have. And, and uh, they've also, you know, lowered the uh, the ability for anybody to uh, to steal uh, the scooters. You, you can't uh, you can't really um, uh, take them anymore. I think early on they had a pretty high uh, loss rate associated with theft. So you don't see that. So that all, you know, points back to what Jim was saying on, you know, really focusing on the economics of the business. So they're just very, you know, they're they're ahead of the game. Uh, they've created just a, a world class uh, organization, and they've got the the scale and ability to uh, to continue to grow and to really lead this uh, this whole sector. And so uh, we're excited to partner with them. Now, before wrapping things up today, Jim and Scott, I wanted to give you the chance to just state the case for the stock for investors. There's a lot of SPACs out there and there's a lot of you know disruptive technology companies and you're seeing more and more competition in the mobility space. Why should investors pay attention to Switchback 2 and Bird? Sure. Well, I, don't, I think we'll tag team this one. Why don't I start? I mean, I think Overall, we feel very good about where the company's position right now. We think the market is moving toward us, frankly. Uh, the model, first of all, I think the model works from a unit economic standpoint, and that's something its competitors and a lot of companies in the energy transition space uh, can't can't say that. You know, the revenue profile that we talked about um, earlier with $400 million of revenue next year, $150 million of revenue in its, its second year, or if you compare it to some other of uh, uh, companies in the in the uh, disruptive technology space like Google, DoorDash, Uber, Tesla, the revenue profile of Bird being nearly two x um, any of those, in some cases more than that after after four to five years of existence, you know, shows that they're that they're doing something right and that they have the unit economics um, figured out 
and that they're honed in on those unit economics. So that you know that also then ties into if you look at our valuation, uh, we think it's it's quite conservative, um, and it, it really is a compelling valuation and offers a lot of upside for the stock. Like the second thing, and we had mentioned it earlier, is the tailwinds coming out of COVID. It, during COVID, there has been some consolidation in the industry, um, and I think coming out of COVID, then this socially distanced idea way of of uh, transportation as opposed to of piling back onto subways or buses, you know, that's appealing. There's a reopening element to that as people want to get out and around. Um, they're more and more doing this on e-bikes and e-scooters, um, so playing right into to Bird's business there. Scott had mentioned the favorable regulatory changes where, where cities are becoming more amenable to e-bikes and e-scooters. If you look at New York City, for example, um, where Bird won the permit in New York City, you know, they've introduced now additional bike lanes and e-scooter lanes. So cities are just more open to, hey, let's lower the carbon footprint. Let's lower the idea of, of cars, single passenger cars congesting the city and offer environmentally friendly ways to, to transport around the city, frankly, in a more efficient manner. And then I think maybe the third thing about the, the stock is that there are a number of catalysts coming up. Uh, Scott mentioned that the e-bike and, yeah. the, and the third mentioned the e-bike and the third generation e-scooter um, being introduced now. So catalyst there, the city adoption. It's, it's kind of funny. We when we started um, talking to Bird, and actually when we were in the pipe process and we announced the transaction, Bird was in slightly under just right around 200 cities. And as we're talking today, they're in over 250 cities. So the adoption rate for Bird. Um, is is very high right now. They just have a close and a refined a close connection to a lot of municipalities and a really refined approach to um, to introducing themselves to municipalities and working hand in hand with those with those cities. Um, as I mentioned before, being a catalyst of kind of the record summer travel and people coming out, just a real reopening uh, reopening play as well. And then the last thing, which again, I maybe could lump under the, the catalyst, um, the catalyst banner would be just being the first public micro mobility player of scale, you know, really gives them an advantage position, uh, go forward to, to take a, to take a lion's share uh, of this market. Doesn't mean it has to be a winner take all, but it puts them in a, in a great position. Yeah, I couldn't really add very much onto that. I, I think he covered all the points. I, I think that if you take a look at the first quarter numbers uh, that they put out uh, and filed, you can see that there's some strong momentum that's already coming into the summer. I think what we're seeing and what we're all witnessing is that people are ready to get outdoors. Uh, they're rediscovering their cities. Uh, I think that getting on an e-scooter and an e-bike is a really good way to do that. And so uh, I think that just uh, what all the things that Jim said about, you know, getting the increased penetration in, inside of these, in each of these cities and into new cities is going to be a, a, a really nice catalyst as we, uh, you know, come out of the, the DSPAC process and, and, you know, they, they charge ahead as a, as a public company. I, I think you're going to see that momentum uh, continuing because, Again, even though they've got a substantial revenue base underneath them, uh, it's still really early in the uh, in the evolution of their business plan. So uh, it's, it's a nice time to, to take a look at the, the stock and take a look at the addressable market and all the uh, strong points that, that Bird has uh, and will have as a, as a public company. 
and switch back to trading under the ticker symbol SWBK. Bird deal expected to close in the third quarter, I believe, and then up in trading as a newly minted a public company. So exciting stuff. Thanks, Jones, for coming on the show today, explaining the thesis behind Switchback and some of the key insights and details behind the Bird merger. So we wish you the best of luck and we'll be monitoring your progress as you, as you guys complete this Bird merger. Thank you very Thank much, you Mike. We really, we really enjoyed it. All right. Thanks so much, guys. Bye, everybody. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Absolute Return Podcast. This episode was brought to you by Accelerate Financial Technologies. Accelerate, because performance matters. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. The views expressed in this podcast are the personal views of the participants and do not reflect the views of Accelerate. No aspect of this podcast constitutes investment, legal, or tax advice. Opinions expressed in this podcast should not be viewed as a recommendation or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any securities or investment strategies. The information and opinions in this podcast are based on current market conditions and may fluctuate and change in the future. No representation or warranty expressed or implied is made on behalf of Accelerate. As to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained this podcast. Accelerate does not accept any liability for any direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage suffered by any person as a result of relying on all or any part of this podcast, and any liability is expressly disclaimed.